And now we take great pleasure in presenting to you the star of our program, Miss Kate Smith. Hello, everybody. It is my happy privilege to introduce a new song. God bless America. God bless America. God bless America. Dare we sing this song today while harboring any expectations that God, the holy God of the Bible, would bestow upon us his truest blessings? Why would we choose to gaslight ourselves in such a way? But it seems that we do. Today, the average American has no real sense of history or national pride. The younger generation has no respect for the achievements of our forefathers. They're tearing down statues and rewriting history. And most certainly, they offer no deference to the things of God. We have manufactured a constitutional concept establishing a separation between the church and the state. In our elected leaders' minds, God has no right to interfere in, in the affairs of the state. But the state has every right to critique and enter into the affairs within the church. They evidenced this in 1962 and 1963, by ruling God out of the public square. This was done by Earl Warren, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court in Ingle versus Bittal, 370 U.S. 421. And he issued his opinion, which now has become accepted as law. God bless America. You congressmen say this, and you presidents give your states of the union addresses, and you like to close it out by saying, and God bless these United States of America. Look around you. Please read and follow what is going on. Men and women, look and listen. See what people are doing and voting for in Washington, D.C., and in our governor's state houses as well. These arrogant, highly educated, intelligent people have willfully rejected God and stand filled with a conceit that God will not tolerate. Do not be fooled. God will not bless this. He will not be mocked. The principles of the Bible are the groundwork of human freedom. Our inalienable rights are given to us by God. Sorry, boys. God's blessing ain't coming. His hand has been removed and his eyes have turned away. You can say what you will, but God blessing America is not going to happen. He will not hear your prayers. Why? What have you done? What have we done? What has happened to Christianity in America? Not religion. We have lots of religion. We have many, many people who believe many, many different things. But what has happened to biblical Christianity in the United States of America? This is my question. And this will be a topic that we will consider in this podcast, Controlling the Narrative, Faith of Our Fathers. My name is Frank Goss, and I want to thank you for following along with us in our Controlling the Narrative podcast. We hope the information we provide is beneficial to you, and again, thank you very much for listening.
Many of you already know that I am a Christian. I love Jesus Christ, and He is the Lord of my life, by His choice. People try to pigeonhole me into taking sides in denominational arguments, but at the moment, I'm not committed to any particular branch. I'm committed to Jesus Christ, though. I'm not a theologian, but I do study theology quite a bit. I read my Bible quite often. Christian biographies and such I read, I love. Christian history. I know both what I believe and why I believe. Now, I'm not interested in how many angels can dance on the head of a needle, and I have no admiration for people who want to sit around and discuss such things in earnest. Some call it deep thinking. I call it a waste of time and a waste of brain power. Jesus did not tell me anywhere that it was good to think like that. But he does tell me that I will be blessed if I do what he tells me to do. So I would rather quietly go about doing what I am supposed to do, collect my blessings, and rejoice. My desire is and has been for a number of years to know Christ, and to help others learn about Jesus Christ, to know God, and to live, as Leo Tolstoy well put it. There is no life if you're walking with the weight of sin on your shoulders. Why not be shed of all that weight and learn what Christ has done for you? But men and women are men and women. People love their darkness far more than they love light. And they would rather enjoy their sin in their lives in their way. They would rather live their lives on their terms and believe the things that they feel are right long before they would admit to being wrong and sinful. Now I can scatter in any number of directions in this conversation. And admittedly, it's hard to contain myself. People tend to agree with me regarding sin. Everybody says, yeah, I need to do better, or I know I sin, and I need to be in church, I need to try harder. But honestly, that is just a filler conversation. They're waiting for me to move along or change the subject. Everybody sins, we just don't like to talk about it. You know that, and so do I. What people don't understand is that they are sinful to the very core of their being. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It was your sinful heart that brought about the death of Christ on the cross. There's no good in you. None. That is hard for people to accept. All of our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. All of it. There is none good. No, not one. That's hard to swallow. I met a young man several years ago who had won the 2015 National Extemporaneous Speaking Championship among high school students. Now, this is quite an achievement among the debate and speech crowd. It means a lot. Granted, this crowd leans very heavily towards liberalism and considers themselves to be among the intellectual elite in secondary education. But this guy, who's now probably in his mid to late 20s, told me after having spent a summer interning in China that he was very sure of himself. He seemed to exemplify the best of American youth. We were discussing what he had done. I asked him how he would contrast the CCP and the Constitutional Republic here in America. His answer was a stinging testimony to the American tragedy that we're now presently experiencing. Granted, this was eight years ago. He said that the CCP was superior to anything we had to offer here in America. And he delights in being viewed for his accomplishments 
in the American educational system that provided him all the accolades that he now and presently enjoys, and a scholarship to a university. But don't be surprised. His views are not isolated. 42% of the American citizens now hold a favorable view of social Marxism, which is an atheistic worldview. 42% of Americans profess to be Protestant Christian. Now, these numbers contradict themselves. You can't have both. One is atheistic and one is Christian. Those two do not mix. Now, if you're a born-again Christian, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, chosen child of God, you'll fully know precisely what I'm saying, and you will agree. You know the truth and you embrace it. You also know the joy of salvation that Jesus gives. But if what I'm saying troubles you and gets you upset, it shows that you don't really understand what I'm talking about. You don't know the joy of his salvation. No, no, you don't. You can throw all the rocks at me that you wish. You can call me a bigot and a hypocrite, and all of these things. But all of that, and all of your protestations, will not bring you closer to understanding God's grace than where you are right now. Jesus Christ died for sinners, and I am a sinner. He was buried, and he rose again on the third day. Jesus Christ was God in flesh incarnate. The Bible tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He walked on the earth. He came down to speak to you and to me. He came down for a particular task. He completed what he came to do. This is the gospel, the good news. Jesus came to take away the sin that condemns us. Our founding fathers held these true to be self-evident. They came to this land seeking a place where they could practice their faith without being regulated by a corrupt government and persecuted by men who did not believe these things. They left England and came to the new world with this in mind. And they flourished. They did. I want to note this early on, so you will be fully aware of my position. These men were Protestant believers. They were not Romanist, and they held no affiliation with Rome. No obligation to the Pope. No ties to King James and the Church of England. They were called pilgrims and they were fully independent of any particular group. Thousands of books have been written about them, so really, my simple podcast is not going to open up any new historical facts that have never been told. I would say that I am a Protestant, a Protestant, in the line of the great French-German-Swiss reformers. I am not joined at the hip with these guys, but I am fairly well convinced that doctrinally, theologically, these guys are pretty solid. They have an understanding that stand solid over the years. As a young Christian, I managed to place myself in bondage to men when it comes to Christian faith. There was a man who preached powerfully and was very charismatic, who captured my mind while I was very young and immature. Nobody could present the truth nearly as well as this man. He alone had the audacity and the temerity to speak the truth. I was not alone. There were many others who wanted to gather around this fellow. He started a school. So I went to the school. It took a few years for his veneer to wear thin, and the Lord was more than gracious in allowing me to see what this guy was doing. Oh, now, he was powerful, and he was sincere, and very, very compelling. He was a charismatic guy. He engendered devotion and loyalty and a desire. But he demanded complete submission 
and obedience and loyalty. He alone was right, and if you agreed with him, you were one of the accepted. To disagree meant apostasy and possibly condemnation. No, I was not in a cult. It was not a Jim Jones or David Koresh group. This guy was a mainline guy, and he drew young people from mainline churches. He led a sect and had many who followed him. My wife and I were sheep in his pasture, and we were deeply committed and loyal and sorely deceived. We followed a man, a man who seemed to be God's true agent on earth. Years after being freed from this guy, I met a student of his in Tennessee, one who had attended his school like I did. When I asked what he would do in life after he had graduated, he mentioned missions and going into missions overseas. Well, I asked him which organization he was considering. His response revealed that his bondage to the same man, the same methods, were exactly what I had known. He said, well, I don't know. There are not any groups that seem to preach the gospel, the true gospel. I knew then that this young man had swallowed the Kool-Aid, and he's not alone in this. And he's not the only group bound up by the teachings of men. My advice to anybody in a similar situation is to back away from men like this. Study the Bible and walk as close as you can to Jesus Christ. Respect the men of God and pray for them. But always remember that these men are mere men at best. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not a man leading you to glory. It's Christ in you. Read his word and obey him. It's better to trust in God than to put your confidence in any man. It's when Peter looked away from Jesus to the waves that he began to sink in the water. You will find that I tend to change rabbits. Be patient. It's a habit. I've developed this over years, and I'm not trying to research and expose errors among the saints. That is not my goal here. That would be an endless effort, and I personally don't get any benefit from this. However, if I do see a bridge out, I'll do my best to warn you and point you in another direction. But I will not focus a great deal of my time on the broken down bridge. I don't want to use this platform for preaching and teaching like a preacher would do, nor as a commentary for my theological views, though I can say that my views are going to bleed through. I aim to consider America's roots and reveal how they were planted and nourished by the great doctrines of Scripture and by men who walked with God. Again, admittedly, I am biased. I oppose Howard Zinn, and I have no affection for any man like him. I'm not a Marxist or a socialist in any of my views, and have no compassion for those who do. I am a Christian. In today's atmosphere, this may result in my demise. It certainly will not serve to open any doors real wide for me of that, I'm sure. Alex de Tocqueville is a man that you read about in history. He was a member of the French Parliament, and he was asked to examine prisons and penitentiaries in the United States. He came to America and traveled widely throughout the nation, taking copious notes and observing. He returned to France, and he wrote his findings in a work entitled Democracy in America, which was published in 1835. He was an astute man, brilliant in his political understandings, and he had an impressive resume. He was a well-traveled individual and knowledgeable of the political world of his day, having visited and observed many nations at work. He was a man distinguished in his field and passionate in his stand for political liberty. He died from tuberculosis on April 16, 1859. De Tocqueville wrote, 
after his travels, and after having thought quite a bit, in the book, Democracy in America, he said, not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Now here, in uncovering these things, we'll find the genesis of American greatness. Conversely, we will also be forced to consider the tragedy of her downfall. De Tocqueville rightly predicted this as well. He said, Society will develop a new kind of servitude that covers the service of society with a network of complicated rules through which the most original minds and the most energetic characters cannot penetrate. It does not tyrannize, but it compresses, enervates, extinguishes, and stupefies a people till the nation is reduced to nothing better than a flock of timid and industrious animals of which the government is the shepherd. Here is where we stand today as a nation. Many of us know it, we feel it, and we loathe it. But we're afraid. We're timid and we're weak. Where are the men of character? Look who's leading us and tell me how proud you are. Look at the corruption and tell me that you're content and satisfied. Shrug your shoulders if you would and say it's not your fault, but my friend it is. Check your bank account and see what you're paying for a dozen eggs and a loaf of bread and tell me how much it costs to fill up your car with gas. It affects you. Yes, it does. And your passivity and shrugging of your shoulders doesn't stop anything. We shake our heads and we look around us and what are we going to do? We're going to search for yet another man who will step in to lead. Hopefully we'll find the right guy. And therein we find the problem. We're looking to men. In considering men as a people, Marxist, socialist, Marxist, Democrat, conservative, Republican, or a milquetoast moderate, which means you plant your feet off the ground and you don't stand for anything. These people will not vote for a righteous man if he runs for office. They won't. We want a man like us, like unto ourselves, one who can identify with us. We want this man to lead our nation. Good men. Righteous men of solid character, moral men, do not seek high office. Liberty will never be established on immorality, debauchery, corruption, and evil. And without morality, there will be no liberty, no equality, no happiness or peace. Now without faith, there won't be any morality. And without God, there will be no faith. So, what we need to do is get back to where it all started. Our founding fathers, all of whom who had studied the Bible in their classical education, believed that moral and spiritual values were essential for good men to establish good government. James Madison, author of the Constitution, said that if men were angels, no government would be necessary at all. Our founding fathers enshrined freedom and limited government and individual responsibility in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. It was John Adams who said our Constitution was made only for a moral and a religious people. It's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Then take a look around you today. We've rejected morality and Christianity. So where does that put us as a nation? How does our government stand today? Physically, we don't need to burn it all down and begin again. 
We have the strongest structure ever established for a country in our Constitution. Spiritually, we need to reconsider, and we need to reason, and we need to turn around and go back and discover once more the origin of reason. Where do we start? In the beginning, God.